right, what's up, guys? It's Bill Brower with FMBA Nation coming to you from the Serve Pro Studios here in Raleigh, New Jersey, joined by two very special friends of mine, uh, friends of the FMBA, and uh, honored and privileged to be joined by them. I've got Eddie Markowitz from the Markowitz Law Firm. Uh, Eddie's a huge supporter of the FMBA, sponsors a ton of our events, both at the state level and at the local level. Um, and we also are honored to be joined by Joe Zadruga, um, who many of you know the 9-11 uh, uh, Health and Compensation Act story. His son, Jimmy Zadroga, uh, the act is named after. We'll get into that in a minute. But uh, Joe Zadroga, the father of Jim Zadroga, um, is joining us as well to talk about this uh, topic today. And that is the uh, James Zadroga 9-11 Health and Compensation Act. So, gentlemen, thank you for taking the time to join me on the show and talk about such an important topic that um, I believe a lot of our members are still um, a little uneducated about in terms of who it affects, um, how the program works, the history behind it, and all that kind of stuff. So I'd like to uh, have you guys touch on that today. Uh, but thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. No, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So here too. Thanks for having me on. Always glad to tell the story. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into that, Joe. So um, a lot of you know a lot of people may be unfamiliar with the story behind your son. Um, give us a little bit uh, background about uh, who Jimmy was and uh, and and his story as it relates to uh, his career and and nine eleven and the tragedy that unfolded. <clears throat> All right. Well, Jimmy always wanted to vote. He wanted to be a New York City police officer. I wanted to join my department in North Arlington, but he said he didn't want to be a local. He wanted to go to the big city where, you know, the action was. Uh, his um, goal from the start was to become a detective. Um, he went through the department. He works, uh, you know, on, on crossing. I mean, you know, in Chinatown, he worked down there. He worked in the village walking around. And then he got into the squad car. But his ultimate goal was to get into the street crime unit, which he finally managed to get into the street crime unit, where they were apprehending, obviously, weapons off the street. Uh, he was well known. I learned this later on because he wasn't one to speak to me about, you know, his uh, job and what was going on, other than a few little details here and there. But uh, after after his passing, I found out he was well known throughout the city. Because he worked citywide with the street crime, so he'd be in any precinct. And Jimmy was the type of guy, he'd walk into a precinct and start talking to you like he knew you uh, all his life. And he'd get you laughing. And he had a laugh that if he laughed, you had to laugh with him. It was just one of those belly laughs or laughs that you had to laugh with. If I was in a room and he was laughing in the other room watching television, you had to laugh. Even when you went there, his type of laugh. So, uh, like I said, he was well known. Um, he was also uh, one of the top uh, gun collectors in, in, in the street crime unit. He would, uh, you, you had to get, uh, I don't know, three or four uh, a month, whatever, whatever the goal was. If you didn't get it, the goal, you were, you were out of the squad. So uh, he managed to uh, get his uh, goal and also managed to help some of these other guys that didn't have their goal uh, to move along. He wasn't one to, to you know, get all the glory. He was glad to share share his collars with other other uh, um so finally well eventually the street crime they made all the street crime unit um, detectives which he was uh, obviously happy unfortunately 
they broke the street crime up um, after one of the, the you know, bad shootings on the department. And they placed him into a homicide apprehension squad, which, uh, as I said, with his reputation, I think he had uh, uh, good people moving him along. And I, I think they had good intention to move him along into the, into the homicide squad. Uh, unfortunately, while he was there, he had about 12 years on the job, 13 years on the job at that time, you know, the World Trade Center happened. And uh, he was on his way home that morning. He, he was in court in the morning from a, uh, uh, a grab he had, got out of court, I don't know what time, five, six o'clock. He was driving home. He lived upstate New York, man, halfway home, well, almost, almost home, he said. He turned on the radio, which was unusual. He usually just listened to his music, and he heard that uh, the World Trade Center was hit. Mm -hmm. He was only a, you know, a mile or so away from his house. He said, well, I'm going to go home. He said to himself, I go home, change, get a bag, because he knows he, he knew he wasn't going to be back for a while. Yeah. His wife was nine months pregnant. Wow. She didn't know what was going on when he walked in the house. He told her, and you know, she begged him not to go back. You know, she begged him not to go back, but he said, no, I have to go back. This, you know, this is what I do. Um, he said that was one of the hardest things when he left the house. His, his wife nine months pregnant uh, and Tyler was born November 1st. So it was really that close. She was kneeling in the driveway crying for him not to go back, but he went back and he did, um, at, at first it was obviously, uh, looking for victims and, uh, you know, recovering, uh, after a couple of days or whatever their time frame was, they went into, um, you know, collecting of evidence and so forth. And uh, obviously being he was a detective, he was assigned to the homicide apprehension squad. They, they kept him there. And he was there for approximately three weeks, steady, 24-7, sleeping on the ground on the, in tents or whatever there for, for three weeks. Wow. When he came home, he was sick when he came home. Yeah. He was, uh, uh, had difficulty breathing. He even passed out a few times. He was sent to the hospital. I mean, this is a couple of weeks after he came home. Matter of fact, the lucky thing, there was EMS people that lived uh, a few few doors down from him and they'd come running over with the oxygen to revive him because he was passing out so bad. So that's when our, our problems started with him. And um, at first, everything was going good uh, until uh, uh, Bloomberg got uh, elected. Uh, he was, matter of fact, he was supposed to go back to the sick desk and they were going to put him on extensive uh, sick leave where... Um, you know, he'd be out sick and he wouldn't have to worry about checking in all the time. When he went to do that, this is when Bloomberg took over. Mm -hmm. He went and he said, oh, I'm going on extensive, extensive sick leave. And they said, well, what are you talking about? You're not sick. As far as we're concerned, you know, you're healthy. You can go back to work tomorrow. So that's, that's when the trouble started with us, with him. And uh, he just got sicker and sicker. Uh, he would go to, he, I don't know if you're familiar with the New York City, you had to report to your Learfrat Center uh, if, you, if you called out sick. And uh, they would tell you if you were able to go back to work or if you're not able to go back to work. Now, he had to drive almost an hour, almost two hours to get there. So he had to leave every morning, five o'clock in the morning, go to Learfrat Center and they'd say, yeah, okay, you're good enough to go back to work tomorrow. You're good enough to go back to work every uh, two days after that. And that went on for months and months and months. Uh, as long as he reported in, he was covered by uh, sick, sick time, unlimited sick time, as long as he reported in. And um, 
we started reaching out that time to uh, try to get help for him. Uh, he would go to the hospitals. Uh, the doctors had well, well intentions of uh, uh, treating him. And um, he'd be in, they said they'd take good care of him. And two or three days later, they would, they would discharge him. And I know it wasn't a doctor's fault. There was somebody higher up telling them to get him out of hospital. Yeah. That he's, uh, you know, he's not sick. They don't. They, at that point, they were they were trying to hide that anybody was sick from nine uh, eleven. Uh, yeah. Uh, at that point, I, I it was a few months. I told him, Jim, talk to the fireman because he always went to the firehouses for dinner or uh, eat because they were cheap and they had good meals. He knew which ones had good meals when he worked in citywide. I asked who they go for their lung conditions with the firemen. They gave him a doctor in Westchester, New York. And he went there, the doctor examined him, and the doctor told him flat out, if they don't find a cure, you'll be dead in five years. You'll probably be blind in three. And uh, that's about all he lasted was five years. Wow. Uh, and uh, we went an ex ex extensive uh, called contacting senators, congressmen, governors, mayors, uh, police commissioners. I mean, I could go on and on. I got letters that we, we try to contact them to tell them that he was sick to help them. And they kept on saying there's nothing they could do. This or they, you know, the department says there's nothing the matter with them. And, and that went on and on and on and on until finally he got so sick he was on oxygen. Uh, the first time he went to Learfrat Center carrying his oxygen, he walked into the office. It just happened that day I drove him there because I was up, uh, up by his house. And uh, usually I read two newspapers before he came out. He went in, I didn't finish the uh, front page of the, of the Daily News, and he was out the door with a nurse. I said, what's going on? He said, oh, they examined me already. They, they, they took me out. Uh, as soon as he walked in the room, they took him out when they saw the oxygen because they didn't want nobody to know that he was sick, that sick with the oxygen. So they walked him out. And even that went on with oxygen and then trying to get the, them to put him on his things and sick leave. And, and that went on and on. Um, eventually, eventually uh, his, his wife got involved. Uh, I told his wife to call up the sick desk and, you know, straighten this out. Well, he had to go in every other day. He had to go in there. And she had to drive him. He crashed three cars going there uh, over, the, over the time. Uh, and they said... You know, as far as we're concerned, you live across the street. You know, if you got to drive in, that's your problem. So he had to have his wife drive in with the, the baby, which is only, you know, newborn, you know, five o'clock in the morning and so forth. So finally she got hold of a, a captain, uh, well, the head of the uh, center, and she said, listen, you take your bars off and let's just talk a wife to the police department. And she said to him, look, he was on a job for all these years. He never took a day sick. Look at his record. Um, never mind his citations. I didn't even know about his citations. That's that's another story. Um, uh, when the mayor said that uh, he was no hero, when when uh, well, this was after he passed. Uh, let me get with this this part first. Uh, she said, "Listen, you know he he never took a sick day. Obviously, the guy's not faking. You know, uh, so, you know, can't do something for the help of him." So he said, "Look, let me look into it." And and finally, there's one captain. And I guess he took it in his own hands and uh, uh, put him on an extended sick leave. But he still had to go in front of the review board uh, for uh, getting out on a job-related disability. He went in front of the review board like four times um, until they finally decided that he was, uh, you know, disabled. 
and and they released them on uh, uh, you know, job related pension. And uh, of course, then he then he 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 passed away. Well, this happened first. They moved to Florida. This was even before he went off the job. They let him move to Florida because his wife was originally from Florida. And she always wanted to go back there. So she, he moved back to Florida, bought a small farm down there. And uh, his wife, she was, you know, she lived in fairy tale world. That's all I could say. She was like a, a little princess. And, and she, she just couldn't handle him being sick, knowing that he was going to die. And uh, she just gave up and she passed away. So now he moved back with us up to upstate New Jersey here after his wife passed away. Um, I used to give him his medications because uh, he was under such uh, heavy medications from the pain from his chest and so forth, from the lungs drying out, that we used to give him his medication. Um, of course, one day he didn't come down by nine o'clock in the morning for his medications. And unfortunately, I went up and that's when I found him on the floor. Away, he passed away on the floor. He was he got up on the night to uh, get his daughter a, a bottle of milk. We still had a bottle of milk in his hand. She was still sleeping on the bed when I went up there. So uh, uh, fortunately, that it was New Jersey. The ME New Jersey did a post on him here in New Jersey, and listed his cause of death as from 9/11, and that just opened up the can of worms uh, for for the city of New York. They didn't want nobody to know that the people were dying from 9-11. He was probably one of the first, may, may have been one or two before him, but he was the first one that was uh, uh, came to plight uh, with the uh, news media. All right, let's take a quick break. I want to tell you guys about Force of Nature. Force of Nature is a product that we actually use here at the state office, and it is the family-friendly way to clean and disinfect. Force of Nature is an appliance that turns tap water plus a small capsule of pre-measured salt, water, and vinegar into a cleaner and disinfectant. It's actually on the EPA's list of disinfectants for use against coronavirus. How does it work? Well, Force of Nature miniaturizes the electrolyzed water technology from the industrial space. Think about saltwater pools and how they work. Salt, water, and vinegar are converted to an electrolyzed water when an electrical current changes the chemical composition of the solution into two new ingredients, hypochlorous acid and sodium hydroxide. They both might sound a little scary to you, but hypochlorous acid is the same germ-killing substance your immune system makes. Sodium hydroxide is a detergent common in both toothpaste, skin care, and other cleaners. It is pet and kid-friendly. It's the only cleaner with no additive fragrances, dyes, preservatives, surfactants, there's no allergens or irritants, and best of all, it saves you money. Let's talk about the last couple of months. If you're like me, you've gone to the store multiple times, probably more than you can count, and looked for any kind of disinfectant spray only to come up empty. At just seven cents an ounce, Force of Nature will save you money in the first year and every single time you use it afterwards. As an FMBA member, supporter, listener of FMBA Nation, you can save money right out of the gate. We got two promo codes set up for you. Go to njfmba.org slash force of nature and use promo code buygerms20. 
B-Y-E-G-E-R-M-S-2-0 to save yourself 20% off of any starter kit plus free shipping. Or you can use promo code BUNDLESAVE15 for $15 off and free shipping on any bundle. So don't hesitate. Go to njfmba.org slash force of nature and get yours today. So uh, he did the post on him. And uh, at that point, everything everything broke loose. The mayor and the ME from New York said that, who's this New Jersey ME? He's probably some senile old doctor didn't know what he was talking about. Which, uh, which was good for me because it kind of put that doctor on my side. Um, when I told them, they said that about them. Um, they wanted to have a meeting with the ME in New York. Uh, my family, Linda and Tyler Ann came with us. We also brought a lawyer with us that they told us. I wasn't going to bring one, but they told us we should have a lawyer with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we walked in the room, I took a picture of Jimmy. I put it in front of the ME. So I knew he was a heartless son of a bitch. And uh, I said, look. This is who we're talking about here. We're not talking about uh, you know, anyone. We're talking about my son. I want to use respect. So what they said to us, DM me, he said, listen, this is the story here. If you say that Jimmy did not die from 9-11, that he died from other causes, I won't go out and say he misused his drugs and um, you know, try to uh, assassinate his uh, uh, He's uh, what he called um, character. I just couldn't believe that's what he said. And the only thing I regretted, I didn't go out and talk to the press right away. We went out. They they chased. They they made us go out the back door away from the press because the press was all outside waiting for the story. And the ME, he went out there. And I guess he knew we weren't going to go. Well, we kind of told him we weren't going to go with him. And that's what he went out and said that Jimmy didn't die from nine eleven from his lung condition. He died from misusing his drugs, which would cause his cause of a death with his lungs. Um, by the time we got home that day, we had, uh, I don't know how many, my, my whole, the end of my blog, I'm on a dead end, a uh, cul-de-sac. And the whole cul-de-sac was filled with uh, news media and um, TV, you know, TV, three TV stations and news uh, reporters and so forth. Uh, Linda and I walked into, it walked into the house and I said, what do you want to do? I said, we tried to talk to the media all these years and he was suffering and they didn't want to talk to us. They wouldn't talk to us. They never would carry the story. Said they'd like the story, but they never would carry the story. I said, you want to walk in and tell us, uh, tell them to go take a walk like they told us to take a walk? Mm-hmm. Or you want to become uh, an advocate? I said, I think my wife and I, we agreed that we thought that Jimmy would want us to become advocates uh, for the other. Uh, police officer's requirement out there that we knew was sick. Um, we saw him, we met him, we used to, we used to meet him. Um, my wife was the one that gave the term uh, the walking dead. And she see somebody, uh, a cop or a fireman, and you could tell right away that they were, they, they, they had the, they the cough and she called the walking dead. Yeah. And, um, and so, by the way, that story about the misuse of the drugs was all debunked, that was all garbage. It yeah. was absolute character assassination. Yeah, yeah, that's it's, that's. I'm yeah, gonna... Bloomberg even went to a college and said right after that and said, "Well, everybody wants heroes, but uh, Detective James Adrogo was no hero. Uh, he was misusing his drugs." 
Well, when that story came out, went on the, on the front page of the Daily News and uh, uh, the police department, I mean, they were nuts. Uh, we had a phone call, we had a phone call, and, and finally, uh, through the media and so forth, we got a meeting with the mayor about that. And uh, I think somebody told him, you know, you talked about the wrong guy here. Because at that point, I mean, I didn't know how many citations that he had, so, you know, 20 some citations for collecting of guns and uh, other instances that he had. I never knew that. He never told us. Yeah. So uh, the mayor more or less apologized, more or less apologized for saying that and said, well, maybe he is a hero, but uh, it, it was a half-heartedly apology. apology. Uh, and the mayor Bloomberg made our life and Jimmy's life hell until he passed away. Even after he passed away, he made our life hell. So, I mean, I have no respect for that man whatsoever. So anyway, that's when we became an advocate. Uh, unfortunately, um, from the news media, I was asked to go speak in front of a congressional hearing that they were taking place in New York City. Um, there was like, I don't know, eight of us or so that, that went to this uh, as witnesses. I started telling the stories I just told you, and they only gave you five or 10 minutes to talk. I, told, I started telling the story. Obviously, I didn't finish the story. I wasn't even halfway done when my time was up. And fortunately, uh, they said, you know, you got a story to tell. And they let me tell the story. And um, uh, Senator uh, Clinton was there. She gave me a note saying that she'd like to speak to us later on. Uh, Linda and I and uh, Tyler and went and spoke to her that all a couple of times. And that's when she became a real advocate for nine of the responders. And she was the one that got the, the first bill really passed to help the, 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 the firemen and the police was the first one. Uh, to get that bill passed. It was supposed to be Jimmy's name, but then the uh, you know, DEA asked me, do you mind if we added everybody to it? And I said, no, that, that's what it's all about. We want everybody added to the fire and so forth. So they added that to the bill. She was able to get it passed and uh, to give everybody medical benefits, uh, give recognition that these people are sick mm -hmm. and get treatment. And uh, then later on, they went further to uh, another bill to incorporate all nine level responders. In but uh, as much as I can say about Senator Clinton, she was the one that got us going on that. And then um, Congresswoman Maloney got involved with you also. She was right. very instrumental, right? She was, a, she was a cold sponsor of the bill. Uh, she got involved with it also, yeah. And she was, she's, obviously, she was with it all the way from the beginning to the end. We became great friends. and. Uh, and, 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 and that's, that's the way it went on. And then I guess Senator Gillibrand picked up the torch later on also. Right. When, when Hillary uh, went to run for uh, president, Hillary, uh, Gillibrand took over and uh, she helped us out a great deal also. You know, it's interesting. The timing of this um, is just fortuitous, uh, Bill, because um, literally it was one year ago yesterday that Joe and I were in the Senate chamber when the... Uh, the new bill was passed, ninety-seven to two. Yeah. So it's the timing of this is, is very fortuitous, actually. Yeah. Um, which was a funny day, Joe. You remember your knee was bothering you, and they tried to put us in the regular chamber, and we couldn't even fit in the seat, so we left. And I told the guy, "That's Mr. Zedroga. The bill's named after his son. We need better seats." And they push put us up in that special place. We were we were like the kings up there. Right. We had room to stretch our legs out. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I got. I mean, I've never heard the story told from you. Um, you know, obviously, the information that 
I've gotten and, and many other firefighters and, and FMBA members have gotten um, is is nowhere in nowhere close to as detailed as what you just told us. And I, I got to be honest, it's just a, uh, a sad story to have to listen to about all the stuff that your son had to go through. Uh, here he is, a hero, uh, responding to the worst attacks on American soil since Pearl Harbor, and you know, giving himself up, giving his life, leaving his wife with his, you know, his his, his son and her son or daughter, child in her belly, uh, on the driveway, going and putting him him and his life and his health at risk for others, and to have somebody call him not a hero and to have him be attacked the way he was attacked while he was sick and even after he's sick i i'm just i'm sick to my stomach hearing this it's just uh the the hardest part there was that they refused to treat him Uh, not the doctors i mean i I said doctors were there they they wanted to treat him but someone was making phone calls telling him to get out of the hospital i I, i'm i'm a firm believer that if they were taking care of him from the beginning and i mean same they gave him a lung transplant in the beginning he might be alive today. But uh, to be honest with you, I finally made arrangements in Pennsylvania, University of Pennsylvania, for him to see if he was a candidate for a lung transplant. And we had him up there talking to the doctors. The day he passed away, we were supposed to find out if he was a candidate for a lung transplant. Wow, that's just... Uh, but you know, five years later, uh, you know, if, if it was in the beginning, not just him, all these people, all these uh, respondents that were sick. Uh, a lot of them might be alive today in, in the early part, in the early years if they would have treated them when they were, you know, stronger and healthier until they, they, they got so weak. And, yeah, and, and that's one of the that's one of, that's one of the other things is that, you know, about a week or so before the bill was reintroduced, um, we got a call. Joe was actually on his way to his uh, to a rumor at the time, mm-hmm. and we got a call saying, you know, Pat, does Joe mind if they change the name of the bill to add Ray Pfeiffer and Louis Alvarez? And only someone who actually can appreciate being a responder like Joe and like yourself, Bill, could understand that Joe didn't even blink or hesitate. Sure. He, put out a, he put out a very gracious statement at the time, you know, that he's, you know, he's honored to have his son's name along with Ray Pfeiffer and Louis Alvarez. And mm-hmm. Obviously, everybody remembers Louis Alvarez from his impassioned plea at the same time, John Stewart. Uh, was testifying in Congress. So, you know, the bill is now, you know, actually known as the Never Forget the Heroes, the James Ed Roger Ray Pfeiffer and Louis Alvarez permanent authorization of the September 11th fund. So, you know, it's like I said, I, Bill, you being a first responder, you know, you could obviously appreciate that when the call came in and James Ed Roger said, I'm going, you know, that's only something that somebody who's been in those shoes cannot really understand. Yeah. The rest of us would like to aspire to that, but you being a responder and Joe being a retired police officer, you understand that need to, and that call to serve, and it's admirable, obviously. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. But, um, you know, it, this, uh, this has, I mean, just so much to it. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much here that we're going to get into now. Um, and, Joe, you and your wife and your family going through such a, uh, a tragic loss of your son and, and what he did and, you know, him losing his wife. And, and I can only imagine what that was like for you and your family to go through, to lose so many loved ones in such a short period of time, um, becoming an advocate for this and becoming an advocate for other, uh, first responders that, 
um, can can see the light at the end of the tunnel because of your actions and your family's actions and your your fight and your drive to do justice by um, you know by Jimmy and 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 really you know um, move this in the direction and, and, and where it is now. Uh, I, as a first responder, as a firefighter, truly thank you uh, for your sacrifices and um, and your heartache and what you guys go through to make all of this possible for those that are benefiting from this act and are benefiting from the benefits uh, that they're able to receive and treatments and everything else. So, you know, I'm, in my eyes, I think you you've lost a, a very important life and an important person in your life but you've probably saved uh, thousands of others' uh, lives from your hard work and dedication. Yes, yes. Doing this. Yeah. He did. He one really of the did. Good things, one of the good things that came out is that, you know, we raised his, grand, his daughter with my granddaughter. She was two when she moved in with us with him. She was five when he passed away. Mm-hmm. And she just recently graduated college. Uh, not college, high school. <laughs> don't don't uh, rush it. College. <laughs> and so, uh, I, I asked the doctors to give me 10 years to get her to high school, and I got that. And uh, I just went to the, the doctor the other day, and I, I asked him to renegotiate that contract. And 10 <laughs> years, uh, let's do another 10 years. Yeah. He just laughed at me and said, okay, we'll do it for you. So hopefully I got another 10 years here, too. With him. Who am I going to play golf with? You better have another 20 years, pal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Eddie, tell us, tell us how you, you know, how did you get involved with the Zadroga family? Where, where did you come in into the story? And um, give us a little bit uh, about this act and, and kind of um, what it encompasses and, and talk a little bit about the World Trade Center Health Program for me. Sure. I, I met Joe when I was working at my prior law firm. Actually, I met Joe because Joe referred um, a dear friend of his and a dear friend of mine now named TJ to my old firm. And TJ, Joe will confirm this is a bit of a handful. So I was put on the TJ case and that sort of led to my relationship with throat with Joe through uh, TJ. Mm-hmm. And um, we just hit it off. I mean, he saw how dedicated I was to the community and to this process. Now, I've been doing 9-11 cases since the original 9-11 fund with when Ken Feinberg was the um, special master. And I'm sitting in my office now, you know, just by chance I had to come in and I have a, a, a letter from Ken Feinberg sitting framed on my wall talking about my dedication and uh, to the 9-11 community. He actually had certified me as an expert witness years ago in uh, with respect to the 9-11 fund. And I testified on behalf of a family in Chicago that was severely shortchanged by a very well-known, whose name I won't mention, national law firm um, from the original 9-11 fund. They're a big white shoe firm, as they call it. And they I testified as an expert. And, I was, I, I was paid like $10,000 for that. I donated the entire fee to the UFA uh, Widows and Orphans Fund. Um, I didn't take a penny for doing that. But I've been doing 9-11 work since the beginning. And Joe saw that dedication in me. And when I left my old firm and um, eventually went out on my own, we not only, he not only came with me as you know somebody I represent, his family, he came with me. We're, we're dear friends now. You've seen us together. I mean, it's, it's real, the relationship. 100%. So, um, you know, the thing that guys have to remember, because you know, I know obviously we don't have forever to talk about this stuff, is they guys got to get treated for this. You know, the, the, what I do comes second, right? Money is not going to fix all the problems in the world. But what can, you know, dovetailing what you just said about all the lives that Joe may have saved is early detection for all of these illnesses is key. 
And, you know, at, at the numerous conventions that you and I have attended over the years, Bill, you know, we've had Dr. Udison out there speaking to the members. I've spoken to the members. You know, one of the, you know, somebody I used to work for used to say firefighters are great at taking care of others, but they suck at taking care of themselves. Okay. So um, I'm going to move this closer because I know the air conditioning bothers you. So I'm going to just go a little further away. So Dr. Udison runs the World Trade Center Health Program for the New Jersey first responders out of the Robert Wood Johnson Center in Piscataway. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's everyone who's not registered for that program should get registered for that program. And we can help you if you call my office, you guys have all my information. We can help you register. It's an easy enough process. We get on the phone with one of your members and we get on the phone with the World Trade Center Health Program. We get you registered. That's the initial step. Because they, they, they're dealing with over 68 cancers right now that are covered in this program. And not to mention all of the respiratory and gastroesophageal issues and all the hosts of other illnesses that have come from the 9-11 dust, which we know is toxic and we won't get into the air was safe. Everybody knows what happened. Yeah. But it's not about what you know from the past. It's what you do going today forward to help yourself and your family. Mm-hmm. So the idea is we can help you register for the World Trade Center Health Program. You'll go down and you'll see Dr. Udison. Hopefully, you'll get a clean bill of health and you'll see me at the convention and that'll you'll say hello. You'll never have to use my services, as I tell people. Some of the worst news you can ever get from a personal injury lawyer like myself is you have a great case. Right. I don't want, you know, I, I, you know, that's the unfortunate reality is this is what I do for a living, but you don't want to hear that you have a case. Right. But if you go to the World Trade Center Health Program, they're going to screen you for all of these known illnesses. And it's all free. It's all covered by the program. It's all covered by the federal government under the act. And God forbid you have something, you'll get early detection of it. Okay. Now, if Dr. Udison tells you that you have an illness because of 9-11, then you call me. You right. know, then, then you call me and let me know that. We'll still help you register for the program. If you get certified for an injury, then that's where I come in. Then I can get you compensation from the fund. And the compensation can range from a low of $10,000. I mean, they're not obligated to give you anything if there's offsets, but generally the low number would be $10,000. And I've gotten somebody, uh, you know, almost close to $4 million at one point in time in the case I was involved with. So depending on the situation now with New Jersey, what's critical now is not only getting into the program, Mm -hmm. but guys who have already made claims and gotten paid may be getting reclassified through the new pension laws in New Jersey. If a guy, one of your members gets reclassified under these pension bills, then he may be able to go back to the fund and get substantial economic loss. And I'm dealing with cases where the economic loss for a guy in their 40s and 50s can be in the mid to high six figures and push into the seven figures. The fund will pay you for your economic loss. And even though you're getting a tax-free disability pension, that's an offset. But because depending on your age and the amount you were earning, you know, just as an example, the guys in New York who get three quarters disability pensions, some of these guys are getting 700, 800, 900. I've gotten firefighters upwards into the millions of dollars. Correct. So if a guy gets one of your members is getting reclassified through the new pension bills, they should contact me. Okay. Now, critical thing is the bill was signed into law by reauthorized by President Trump. Um, I, July 29th of, uh, of last year, okay? So, if, and Joe and I, as a footnote, were fortunate enough to be in the Rose Garden when that bill was signed, okay? Yeah. Um, if somebody, any of the members, 
were in the World Trade Center Health Program prior to that time. Let's assume somebody got certified for their illnesses in 2015 and they haven't made a claim to the fund. Mm -hmm. Well, the fund actually has a two-year statute of limitations from the time the World Trade Center Health Program certifies your condition. Okay. But if somebody was certified before the president, two years before the president or more signed the bill, mm -hmm. they only have one year left to actually file. Because okay. what the special master did after the reauthorization was say, we're going to change the statute of limitations. It's still two years. But if you have violated the statute of limitations and your, your claim was deemed untimely before, we're going to extend the statute until two years from the time the president signed the bill. Yeah. So again, and if anyone has any questions, all my information is on the, 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 the uh, union's website, mm -hmm. but they can call me, you know, my, my, my website is markwitzlaw.com. They can call me at 718-529-4040. And we can, I'm, I'm my, and you, and my, even my cell phone, I'll give it to the guys. It's 347-601-9337. I'm very available. It doesn't cost anything to talk to me. And as you know, I'm very available to all your members. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got uh, the information also published in the monthly bulletin as well. So yeah. anyone that's listening that uh, doesn't have a pen and paper handy, you can, you can obviously find Eddie's contact information as well in the, in the bulletin. So, um, well, listen, guys, I, I can't thank you again enough for what you do, uh, Joe, for what you and your family have gone through for this and uh, the impact that you have both had on so many people's lives that, um, you know, had uh, responded to one of the worst tragedies in American history and, uh, and are, are sick because of it or have lost their lives because of it. So um, truly grateful for you guys uh, uh, in the work that you do. Truly grateful for your support of the FMBA and what you guys do there and the uh, friendship that we've developed over the past couple of years. So uh, yes. um, uh, anyone that needs to contact Eddie, uh, we'll have the notes, the show notes, the information in the show notes for this episode. You can also find the information in the bulletin. And uh, thank you guys again for joining me today. Thanks very much. Hey guys, Bill Brower here with FMBA Nation. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about ServPro of Central Union County in Western Essex County. These guys are a trusted leader in the restoration industry. They provide 24-hour residential commercial services with highly trained restoration technicians. They're a locally owned and operated business, and they're dedicated to being faster to any size disaster with the training, equipment, and expertise to handle your restoration and cleaning needs. Some of the things that they cover are water damage restoration, fire damage restoration, mold remediation, storm damage restoration, cleaning services, and building services, to name a few. These guys understand the stress and worry that comes with a fire or water damage and the disruption it causes to your life and home or business, and their goal is to help minimize the interruption to your life and quickly make it like it never even happened. Our friends over there, Carl Spinner and Bob Morrison, Carl has over 25 years of experience in the industry. Bob Morrison has over 35 years of service industry sales experience. So don't hesitate to give them a call. You can reach them at 908-233-7070. All right, guys, thanks for listening to another great episode of FMBA Nation, and stay tuned for some more great content to come. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also listen on the NJFMBA YouTube channel, as well as Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and the Google Play Store. 
And if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the FMBA Nation podcast, please email us at nation at njfmba.org.